Okay, well, good morning, Reality Carpenteria. If you're tuning in uh, on the internet, I want to say good morning to you. Uh, miss you guys. You guys surely know that by now. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing in our study of John. So please grab a Bible if you have it. John chapter 8. We're going to be covering verses 30 through 36. So let me uh, read our text. The title of this sermon is The truth shall set you free. I'll read the text, pray, and we'll uh, see what the Lord has for us through his word this morning. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you care for humanity, that you care that we would know the truth and that the truth would set us free. Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would give people humble hearts to believe, to believe what you have said about sin, to believe what you have said about slavery, to believe what you have said about your ability to set people free. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would build us up through your word, that you would encourage us where we need encouragement, that you would rebuke us where we need rebuke, that you would uh, admonish us that you would do everything we need through your word and that we would find in you are all in all. I thank you for your word that is perfect, that is without error, that is sufficient for all of our needs. Everything pertaining to life and godliness we have in you, Christ. And so we thank you. Would you minister to us now through your word, by your spirit, in Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well, some astute members of our church uh, asked why this past week, uh, Bo didn't include verse 30 in the sermon. And if you look at your Bible, most Bibles break up the text paragraph-wise and would put 30 with the paragraph that came before. Now, those paragraph divisions aren't original to the scriptures. And actually, in this story, it's one of those rare places that if you left that verse uh, with that paragraph, you actually would be misled about what was happening. You see, uh, verse 30 says that as he was saying many of these things, Jesus, that many believed in him. But then what we're going to see in just a few verses is what kind of belief that was. And we're going to see very clearly it wasn't a salvific belief. It wasn't a saving belief. It was a belief that didn't remain and therefore wasn't a true belief. But here's what I want us to see. And just what I was 
arrested by that. What I uh, want us to see at the outset of this teaching, and it's something about Jesus. It's that Jesus disembarks from his previous discourse and he goes to address those professing believers. Because you see, Jesus really cares. Jesus is not a God who is really far off and just cares about uh, tallies on a piece of paper or how many people would raise their hand. Jesus cares about the individuals. And so Jesus is going to stop his discourse to address these Jews who are professing to believe because he cares about the truth and because he cares about them and he wants them to have the whole truth. This morning, we're going to see from Jesus's interaction with these Jews, the truth about discipleship. We're going to see the truth about slavery. And thirdly, we're going to see the truth about sonship. So the first thing we'll see is the truth about discipleship. Look with me, if you will, at verses 30 through 32. Once again, as he was saying these things, that is Jesus, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus wants us to understand true discipleship. Jesus throughout the gospels is going to tell people, you count the cost before you come and follow me. Just as if you're going to build a home, you shouldn't start until you know you have the resources to build the whole thing. So if you're going to follow Christ, count the cost of following him. He wants true discipleship and he wants his followers to have a confidence and an assurance that they are genuine. They are the real thing. That's what he's after. And so within this question of what is a true discipleship, we ask the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Even 2,000 years after Christ walked this earth, we still have a lot of confusion about what it does mean to be a Christian. How do you know if you're a Christian? Is it because you responded to an altar call one time? Is it because you raised a hand or because you uh, prayed a sinner's prayer? Is it because you were born in a certain part of the country? Is it because of your parents' faith? Is it because of your spouse's faith? Is it because you like some of the morals of Christianity? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, in the following words of Jesus, we're going to see a clear picture of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a true disciple, because those are one and the same. The first thing we see in the truth about discipleship is that true discipleship is abiding discipleship. Verse 31, as Jesus addresses those Jews who apparently had believed, he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. If you abide, you are truly abide. That word means to remain, to continue, not to shift from this place, but to stay steady right 
there and abide in what? If you abide in, Jesus says, my word, which is the revealed truth of Jesus, of God found in Holy Scripture. It is the once for all delivered faith of the saints. It is to believe what God says about himself in his word, that God is the creator of all things, that he is the one who has designed humanity and made humanity in his image, that humanity rebelled against God, even though he made us good, we rebelled against him. And ever since humanity has been born with a sin nature in a bent away from God, that God in his perfect wisdom and love and righteousness chose before time began to send Christ Jesus into the world, which means that the second person of the Trinity the Christ, the Son of God, would come draped in true human flesh, himself truly God, born of the Virgin Mary, and that he would walk this earth and that he would be tempted in every way and yet found without sin, that he would die an atoning death for sinners, though he lived a sinless life, and that he would rise from the dead on the third day and ascend to the right hand of the father and that he would one day come back. And that though humanity is sinful, we have rebelled against God, that God has made a way for salvation, that through faith, through trust in Christ, you may be born again. You see, we were once born with the sin nature, but through Christ Jesus and faith in him by the power of the Holy Spirit and the plan of the Father, you would be born again. Be born again as a son of God or a daughter of God with a new heart and new desires. These are the truth, the once for all delivered faith of the saints. What we see revealed in scripture, what the church has consistently confessed for 2,000 years. If you abide in my word. And I want you to notice something about this sentence. Because we often read sentences that begin with the word if and think, well, it means if this happens, then this will happen. But pay attention to what this sentence actually says. If you are, if you abide in my word, you are my, dis- my disciple. It doesn't say if you abide in my word, then you will be. Now, what's the difference between those two? Well, what it's doing is it's equating, it's showing, it's bearing evidence of what a disciple does. It doesn't say, if you want to become a disciple of Jesus, you just have to start abiding in his word. There's something else to it. It says, if you abide in his word, you show yourself to truly be a disciple. In the same way, you know, a lemon tree is a lemon tree because it bears lemons, you can't go up to an orange tree and say, now bear lemons and show that you're a lemon tree. No, by the fruit it bears, it is evidencing what it is. A disciple abides in Jesus's word. We see here the truth that true disciples abide in Jesus's word, which is to say true disciples those who have been saved persevere in their faith. 
This is shot through all of scripture. The testimony is that those who are saved do persevere to the end in faithfulness, meaning not that they never sin, but they don't move from the hope that they have in the gospel. In 1 John, a letter that John writes later, he describes some believers who prove themselves to be false disciples. They didn't prove themselves to lose a genuine salvation, but they proved that they did not have salvation because it says, if they were truly of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out from us because they were not of us. True disciples persevere in the faith. First, we just talked about true discipleship is abiding discipleship. Secondly, true discipleship is based on knowledge of the truth. Verse 32, the first half of it says, and you will know the truth. You will, if you are a disciple, know the truth. And I want us to notice something about this, something that goes against the sway of our culture today. It says you will know the truth. Not you will know your truth for you and your neighbor has their truth, but you will know the objective truth that has claim over every square inch of this universe. As a disciple of Jesus, you will know what the truth is. And that's such an encouraging, refreshing truth that you will know the objective truth. And this truth, it is an anchor for our souls. It is an anchor for our souls when our feelings wax and wane like the moon at night at the sight of it. It means that the truth anchors us and sustains us when our feelings go in and out like the tide of the ocean. You see, as Christians, we are anchored in the truth. And so our feelings will go one way and another way. And it feels easier sometimes and it feels a lot harder other times, but it is the truth of God and who he is and what he has said in his word that keeps us anchored. So how does this work out in the life of a disciple? Well, let me give you an example. This week, I have found myself these last few weeks, being very, very anxious about all sorts of things. I feel anxiety in my heart and my chest tenses up. I, it might be a really hard conversation I'm anticipating. I don't know how it's going to go, what's gonna happen with this. Or it might be the news cycle and how it's always trying to get me to freak out, it feels like but I, I find a lot of anxiety in, my, in myself about the future and how I can't control what's gonna happen, about uh, the many different things I'm trying to work through and that I just don't have solutions for in this moment. So as I feel this anxiety, it feels difficult to trust God. And if I was led by my feelings, I would be an absolute mess. But by God's grace, the way he has structured things is for us to abide in God's word, which means know what God says. So I have anxiety. I'm struggling to trust God. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, it says all sorts of things. That God's my father and he knows how to care for birds and they're okay, even though they don't store 
up huge storehouses of food. He, he watches over them and he provides for them and he loves me so much more than a bird and he loves you so much more than a bird. So do you really think he's not gonna provide for you? It means that the Bible says God is sovereign, that he will fulfill his purposes for me. As Bo beautifully showed us in Psalm 139, that all of our days are written in his book of life, that he knows what's going on in our lives and nothing is impossible for him. And he is in control of all things. And so I can rest in him, even though I don't know exactly what's gonna work out, exactly how it's going to work out. I can trust in him. So those truths go through my head and I know them and then those actually inform my feelings. Or when we face temptation, temptation to watch something on Netflix or Amazon Prime that I know I shouldn't watch because it's not glorifying to God, but I, I feel a little bit of a pull towards it. So what do I do? Well, I remember the truth that God hasn't redeemed me to go back to my old way of life. So you know what? I, I don't need to watch that. That God says to redeem uh, the time for the days are evil, that that wouldn't be the best use of my time. And so in those things, I find that the tr- I abide, as I abide in God's word, I know the truth and then I can trust God. Or another way to say that is that the truth informs our feelings and the truth actually sets us free as disciples. And that's the third thing we see, that the truth sets us free but it's a little different than we would initially think. It's a little more intense than we would normally give uh, lip service to because the truth, the third truth is actually that true discipleship begins with an emancipation from slavery. Look at the second half of verse 32. The truth will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is the gospel. This is not just a few good notes about, hey, hey, person who turns into, turns into a, a church service. Hey, read your Bible, know what it says, and then you can live a better life. This is bigger than that. This is freedom from a real slavery that you were once enslaved to. And if you have not truly trusted in Christ, you are still enslaved to. All true discipleship begins with an emancipation, a setting free from slavery. This is good news. Jesus says disciples abide in his word and they know the truth and the truth sets them free. So this means discipleship foundationally is a shift in status. As Romans 5 says, we were once enemies of God, but Jesus has reconciled us so that we are now unbelievably friends of God. It's a shift in status. It means that is fundamentally a transfer from one kingdom, that is the kingdom of darkness, as it says in Colossians 1, to another kingdom, the kingdom of the beloved son. It means that discipleship is foremost deliverance from our sin and slavery, not just our own decision. It is foremost a deliverance from God. 
at first in these verses, it appears that all the emphasis and focus is on us. We must do this. We must abide and know. But we realize as Jesus finishes his sentence that he says, you must be set free. And that's something that must happen. We need that, but it's something we can't do in and of ourselves. It is our most pressing need, but we need someone else to set us free. Disciples are those who have been set free. Therefore, they abide and they know the truth. That is the truth of discipleship. But as we begin talking about being set free, we need to ask the question, set free from what? And we learn the answer as we look at verses 33 and 34 and talk about the truth about slavery. So the Jews hear him and they answer him, verse 33. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So the Jews at this moment reveal their deficient belief. It said they had believed in him, but now they just show themselves to say, we're not slaves. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How are you going to say that we're set free? They respond not with confidence in Christ and what he said, but confidence in themselves, in their flesh, and in their own judgments and thinking. You see, these Jews, they think because of their lineage that they're good. We, we are the sons of Abraham, they say. Why would we need to be rescued? They think because of their lineage, their bloodline, that they're all good. And it's at this point that we need to recognize a, a, a lie that has had a significant foothold throughout all of church history. And that is that one can be born a Christian. These Jews weren't good because they came from Abraham. And no one is born a Christian. Everyone must be born again. No one else's faith, whether it's your grandparents or it's your parents or it's your kids or it's even your spouse, no one else's faith can save you. You must be born again. The great evangelist George Whitfield, he would go around uh, proclaiming the gospel. And one of his favorite texts to preach on was, you must be born again. And one time a, a woman came up to him and she was kind of complimenting him and said, why do you keep, uh, why do you keep preaching you must be born again? And he said to her, my dear, because you must be born again. It is an essential truth of Christianity that no one is born Christian, but everyone must be born again. But so many of us think because of where we were born, because of our lineage, that we're all good. Brother, sister, you must be born again. The second thing the Jews say is, we've never been slaves to anyone. Now, this is an odd statement. Commentators kind of differ over it because it's so blatantly not true 
that they're saying, they say, we don't think they mean, uh, we've literally, our ancestors have never been slaves because we know from the Bible, that's not true. Uh, Israel, the Jews, Hebrews had almost been slaves to every single superpower in that known area. They, we know in Exodus in Egypt, we know the Chaldeans, we know the Persians, we know that they were slaves to so many different people. So we're wondering, what do they mean? Maybe they're speaking of Rome and they're saying, we're not slaves of Rome, we're free people. But you can see, regardless if they meant we've never been slaves and we're just wrong, or we currently are not technically slaves to Rome, you can see the most pressing thing in their minds is the political reality of their life. They were concerned most with the political reality of where they were. And this is actually a really good warning for us who live in the United States of America. In uh, a few months, we're going to vote in the next election. And Christian, I want to remind you that the political landscape and reality is not the greatest reality in this universe. It's important. It's important and there's, uh, there's things that I really hope for our country that do and don't happen. But I want to warn you, don't let who becomes president rule over your heart more than the truth that Christ is king over the universe. That's not to say that, uh, that whatever happens is meaningless, but it is to say the most important thing we attach ourselves to is that Christ is king over all. These Jews said, we've never been slaves of anyone. And they missed the truth that Jesus was trying to communicate to them. They were blind to it. We see in the truth about slavery, that slavery the slavery we need to be rescued from is a bondage of our will. A bondage of our will. The Jews didn't see that. They just looked around and said, we're not slaves to anyone. But Jesus was speaking to them about their will and about sin. In verse 34, Jesus answers them and he says, truly, truly. And when Jesus says truly, truly, he wants us to pay attention He says, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Everyone who makes a practice of sin, that is not to quote unquote, tell the hypothetical one white lie that when someone asks you, does this dress make me look good? You say, yes, Um, That's not really what we're talking about. We're talking about making a practice of sin. If you have made a practice of sin, you are a slave of sin. You see, the slavery humanity must be freed from is a slavery that we choose through following our own passions. Everyone who makes a practice of sin, and that is everyone, It may look different for different people. For some, it's judgmentalism of thinking they are literally better than other people. For some, it is giving into lust and being driven by their lust. 
For some, it is greed and covetousness and being driven by the passions of their flesh. But for everyone, the slavery we all must be freed from by Jesus Christ is a slavery of following our own passions. And what's so insidious about this slavery is it is a slavery that we all freely choose. You see, the sinfulness of our sin is that we actually love it and want it and we go back to it. We are those described by John's gospel who love darkness rather than light apart from Christ. And so we find as we talk about slavery that we need not just more willpower, but we actually need a new heart that desires new things. Ephesians 2 says that we were once just guided as uh, slaves to the prince of the power of the air. We were um, servants to Satan and we were just guided by our own passions. We were enslaved to our own passions. So we did what we wanted, but we, what we wanted was evil. And so we, know, we now know we need not just more willpower, but we need a new will. We need new hearts. And Jesus cares and he loves these people. And so he says to them in the verse 35, the slave, who doesn't, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So what Jesus is doing here most likely is alluding to a story that the Jews would be very familiar with. The Jews said, we're sons of Abraham. That was their justification. But Jesus says, well, it's the sons that stay in the house, but the slave will not remain in the house. And there's a story of the actual sons of Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac. And we know that Ishmael was actually sent out of the household of Abraham, but Isaac remained in the house. And the Jews would view Ishmael and Ishmaelites, they viewed them as sinners. Those are the ones. And Jesus has just said, I know your heart. I know what you've done. You've made a practice of sin. You have all sinned. As the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he's saying to them, you realize there's coming a day where if you don't somehow become a son, you'll be put outside of the household of God. He's pressing on them their need. The son will remain in the house, but a slave doesn't remain in the house. He's pressing them. And I want to lovingly press you to be honest about your sin. To be honest that it hasn't just been a slip up here or there. I want us to be honest with one another that it's not true. If you, are, if you have not been born again, you can't just stop. You may shift to another area of sin, but it's a problem that you don't have control over. It's a problem you need to be set free in. And Christians, Christians don't, violently recoil and hate when they hear the truth 
that they were once slaves to sin and Satan. They humbly say, I hate that that was true about me, but I know it was true. A Christian knows what they've been set free from, that once they were slaves, but now they're a son or daughter of God. And a Christian will abide in God's word and will know the truth. And that truth will continually set them more and more free from the power of sin in their life. So let me ask you, do you believe this? Do you know that you have been set free from sin? Are you currently feeling like you're in bondage to sin? Let me warn you, slaves to sin don't stay in the household of God, but sons do. You need to be set free. It's not something that you can just will in yourself, but it's something you can believe and trust in in Christ. So we must be set free from our slavery to sin and the wages of our sin, which is death. We need to be rescued from that. And we need to be rescued from the wrath of God that our sin deserves. But the question is, how can we who chose slavery become sons? Well, we need to hear the truth about sonship. Verse 36, Jesus says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We must go from slaves to sons. But a slave can't free himself or herself. We ask the question, well, maybe if I work really, really hard, I can earn my freedom. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. As Leon Morris says, John's interest here shifts from just a general son to the son. He was talking about slaves and he talked about needing to become sons, but now he focuses in on the one son who is able to set slaves free. If you are set free by Jesus, you will be free indeed. The son can set you free. Hear that again. If Jesus does this, you will be indeed free. But how? Well, through the gospel, which is the truth, the good news, the announcement, of the life and person of Jesus, the eternal son of God. He took on the very nature of a slave, it says in Philippians 2. And he became obedient to the point of death, a death that we in our bondage to slavery deserved. It says in Philippians 2, even death on a cross, that Jesus, so to speak, left his father's home and he was forsaken on the cross in the wonder of all wonders. 
that through his work, he should bring many sons to glory, that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that in him, we might become the righteousness of God in order that he should bring many sons to glory who were once slaves. This is the truth of what the son of God came to do. So call upon him. It doesn't matter what your slavery to sin has been like. It doesn't matter how wicked it has been. It doesn't matter if everyone else thinks you're a perfect person. You know in your heart you must be saved. Call upon him. Say, Jesus, save me. I can't save myself. Say to him, nothing in my hand do I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And he will set you free. He will free you from the wrath that is to come. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 10. He will free you from the slavery to sin that you once walked in. It says in Romans chapter 6. Free from the certificate of debt that you owed because of your sins. Because he nailed it to the cross. It says in Colossians 2 verses 13 through 15. Free from being ruled by your sinful desires. Praise God. Free from having to earn your way back to God. The sun sets you free. You will be free indeed. And Christian, this is the freedom you now live in. Don't, don't go to another hope. Colossians chapter one, it says that you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, you have now been reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ to God. And you are now holy, blameless, and without blemish before him. If you indeed continue steadfast, firm in the faith, not shifting to another hope, don't move to another hope. If you are in Christ, you have been set free from slavery to sin. Now, the outworking of that in our lives, becoming more like Christ, it takes a long time, but don't go to another hope. Don't say this doesn't work for me. Trust in Christ and what he did on the cross, which means abide in his word. Spend time in the word of God, letting the truth that God's spirit has inspired invigorate and fan your faith into flame. Remembering who Jesus is and his power to save and know this truth. Know this truth, preach it to your own heart, recite it, memorize it until it informs your living. Know the truth and live according to it and worship God as a son, not because of your works, but because of his work to set you free and make you a son. Worship him. And know this, this truth will set you free. Christian, the sin you are so wrestling with now, you will one day be fully free from the presence of it. 
And in this life, God will continue to sanctify you. He hasn't given up on you. He can't give up on you. He will bring to completion the good work he began in you. Therefore, you can be honest with brother and sister, or brother or sister and you can confess your sin. You can say, hey, can you help me figure this out? I need help in growing in holiness. But you do so not as a slave hoping to earn your way to God, but as a son who will never be put outside of the house of God. This is the hope of Christ, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I praise you that you are able and that you will accomplish the purposes you have, that you set those who were once slaves to sin free. You adopt them into your family and you will never let them go. And so Lord, for us, I pray for more freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from seeking our own will and our own kingdom and that we would seek first the kingdom of God and know that all other things will be added unto us. Lord, we praise you that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.